There's a story that I've always been drawn to, and it's a story about a woman named Hannah. It's recounted in the biblical book of 1 Samuel. Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah, and he's, uh, she is his favorite among all of his wives. It's the Bible, multiple wives. But she's unable to have children. The other wives tease her mercilessly, and she yearns for a child. She is so distraught by this that she spends her days weeping and fasting. Her husband can't understand her grief and asks Hannah why his love isn't as good as ten sons. Hannah's soul is filled with despair and bitterness. And she goes to the temple in Jerusalem and pours out her heart. She makes an elaborate vow to God, promising that if she has a son, he will be, have his life pledged in service to God. The temple's priest, Ellie, sees her lips moving, but can't hear her voice, and so he assumes that she's drunk. He reprimands her, yet she has the courage to reply, I am not drunk. I am praying and pouring my heart out to God, out of my great distress. Ellie replies, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your prayer. And here is the little detail that touches my soul. The narrative concludes, And the woman went on her way and resumed eating, and her expression was no longer downcast. There's a crucial, beautiful detail here. God's answer or not answer to Hannah's prayer isn't what changed Hannah's expression and brought her back to life. The human interaction of a person witnessing and acknowledging her suffering is what eased her pain. This is an essential truth. Being seen and acknowledged matters. Being seen and acknowledged can save lives. And I believe that the act of seeing and acknowledging others is a religious and moral imperative. I invite a show of hands here. How many of us had awkward teenage years or have witnessed others have awkward teenage years? Yeah, straight up. Great. Me too. Great. As somebody raised and rooted in Judaism, I sought refuge in the synagogue clinging to the traditions and the prayers like lifelines. If I couldn't figure out the rules of how to be a teenager, at least I could follow the rules of religious observance and maybe, just maybe, have a place where I fit in. Now, as you might guess, attending religious services wasn't a popular activity for too many teenagers three hours on a Saturday morning. When I walked into the sanctuary, I would look around 
trying to see if there were any friends or people in my age range to sit with, and there rarely were. So most Saturdays, I would sit alone in the back row. I tried so hard to fit in, to do everything right. Then comes Fred Malkin. Fred was larger than life in pretty much every way. He was a regular at the synagogue, and he seemed to be friends with everyone. As I look back, I realize that Fred was actually my first music teacher. He'd volunteer at the religious school to teach us Jewish music, and he played the piano very jauntily with big hands. In synagogue, he would sing loudly, chat very loudly during the service, and always made a point to like accidentally bonk the microphone anytime he was up near it during the service. I still think about that anytime a mic is moved. So one Saturday, I was in my usual spot, the otherwise empty back pew. The congregation and I were all standing and singing for one of the prayers, and Fred walked over behind me. I looked up and caught his eye. With a faint smile on his face, he said, I see you. My first thought was that he must be talking to somebody else. My second thought is, I see you is kind of a creepy thing to say to somebody out of nowhere. The third thought, he must have caught me doing something wrong. But I was trying so hard. Um, I responded, I see you, Fred repeated. I see that you come every week and you sit by yourself, and I see how much you want to belong. You seem lonely. Sometimes I feel lonely here, too. This boggled my mind. Fred, the biggest personality in the room, felt lonely here? He went on to say, When I'm feeling lonely and worried about fitting in, I sing harmonies. I'm going to teach you to sing harmonies, too. And then he walked off, <laughs> leaving me stunned but glowing a little. I felt seen. I felt acknowledged. I felt the constraining bonds of loneliness begin to loosen. Like Hannah, somebody recognized and gave voice to my pain and my hope. And Fred, in his wisdom, gave me a way in. True to his word, in the coming weeks, I would hear him booming out a harmony from way across the sanctuary. He'd catch my eye, nod and wink and kind of point to his ear, suggesting that I listen to what he was doing. I'd smile and listen and join in once I got it. Pretty soon, I was improvising my own notes, and Fred and I would build these soaring harmonies over the congregation's ancient melodies. And people would sometimes turn around in their pews to see who was singing. 
and they'd see me and they'd smile and then miracle of miracles would talk to me over pastries after the service. There were two amazing gifts that Fred gave me. The first was an understanding of how I could choose to be a part of that community. I had been straining so hard to fit in, to literally and figuratively sing the same melodies as everyone else, and I couldn't stop feeling like I was coming up short. Singing harmonies was a way to be myself to sing my own song, so to speak, and to let my originality enhance everyone else's experience. When we sang harmonies, we were, in effect, saying, I am here. I am who I am. I will turn my loneliness into beauty. And the second gift was companionship. Even though we rarely spoke to each other that day or afterwards, I knew that Fred was an ally, a friend on the journey. And that made all the difference. I thought of Fred when this TED Talk came across my news feed a while back. It's a TED Talk from Drew Dudley, who's a leadership educator based out of Toronto. And Drew tells this story. I went to college in a little school called Mount Allison University in Sackville, New Brunswick. And on my last day there, a girl came up to me and she said, I remember the first time that I met you, and she told me a story of something that had happened four years earlier. She said, on the day before I started university, I was in the hotel room with my mom and dad, and I was so scared and so convinced that I couldn't do this, that I wasn't ready for university, that I just burst into tears. And my mom and dad were amazing. They were like, look, we know you're scared, but let's just go tomorrow. Let's go on the first day, and if at any point you feel like you can't do it, it's okay. We'll go home. Just tell us. We love you no matter what. And she says, so the next day I went, and I was standing in line getting ready for registration, And I looked around, and I just knew I couldn't do it. I wasn't ready. I had to quit. And she says, I made that decision, and as soon as I made it, there was this incredible feeling of peace that came over me. And just as I turned to my mom and dad to tell them that we needed to go home, you, in that moment, came out of the student union building wearing the most ridiculous hat I have ever seen in my life. It was awesome. And you had a big sign promoting the charity Shinerama, which is students fighting cystic fibrosis, and you had a bucket full of lollipops. And you were walking along, and you were handing the lollipops out to people in line and talking about Shinerama. And all of a sudden, you got to me, and you just stopped, and you stared. It was creepy. 
And then you looked at the person behind me in line, this other student, and you smiled, and you reached in your bucket, and you pulled out a lollipop. And you held it out to him and said, you need to give a lollipop to this beautiful person standing next to you. And she said, I have never seen anyone turn so beet red so quickly in my life. He blushed, and he wouldn't even look at me. He just kind of held out the lollipop like this. And I felt so bad for this dude that I took the lollipop. And as soon as I did, you got this incredibly severe look on your face, and you looked at my mom and dad, and you said, look at that. Look at that first day away from home, and she's already taking candy from strangers. And she said, everybody lost it. 20 feet in every direction. Everyone started to howl. And I know this is cheesy, and I don't know why I'm telling you this. But in that moment when everyone was laughing, I knew that I shouldn't quit. I knew that I was where I was supposed to be, and I knew that I was home. And I haven't spoken to you once in the four years since that day, but I heard that you were leaving. And I had to come up and tell you that you have been an incredibly important person in my life. And I'm going to miss you. Good luck. And she walks away, and I am flattened, Drew says. And she gets about six feet away, and she turns around and smiles and goes, you should probably know this, too. I'm still dating that guy four years later. A year and a half after I moved to Toronto, I got an invitation to their wedding. Here's the kicker, Drew continued. I don't remember that. I have no recollection of that moment, and I have searched my memory banks, because that is funny, and I should remember doing it, and I don't remember it. And that was such an eye-opening, transformative moment for me to think Maybe the biggest impact that I had ever had on someone else's life, a moment that had a woman walk up to a stranger four years later and say, you've been an incredibly important person in my life, was a moment I didn't even remember. Drew concludes by asking his audience these questions, and I'll ask us here today, too. How many of you all have had a lollipop moment, a moment where somebody said something or did something that you fundamentally, that you feel made your life fundamentally better. A show of hands. Some lollipop moment, great. And how many of us have told that person that they did it? Fewer hands, right? So here's what Drew says. He says, see, why not? We celebrate birthdays where all you have to do is not die for 365 days. And yet, we let people who have made our lives fundamentally better go around without knowing it. And every single one of you, every single one of you, whether you raised your hand or not, has been the catalyst for a lollipop moment. You have made someone's life better by something that you said or you did. And if you think that you haven't, think about all of the hands that didn't go up when I asked, uh, when I asked that question of who had told them. You're just one of the people who hasn't been told. 
In his book, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten, UU Minister Robert Fulgham says, You may never have proof of your importance, but you are more important than you think. There are always those who couldn't do without you. The rub is that you don't always know who. So here and now, this is my wish for us. Let's let each other know. Let's thank those who have made our lives fundamentally better by seeing us when we felt invisible, who were our companions on the journey. Let's pay that kindness forward tenfold and see and companion each other. And in case no one has said this to you recently, you are important, and I see you, and I am so glad that you are here. Amen.